So hi, welcome everyone to our next episode of Nevermind the Gap. I am joined here today with my co-host, Lindsay Hanari, and we will be discussing the practice gap, which is a very, very exciting topic. Um, and I'll go ahead and have Lindsay introduce herself. Thanks, Carmen. Hey, everyone. Um, the practice gap is a follow-on from our prior episode, The Identity Gap, in which we were talking about how ideas about yourself or others um, from a prior role or stage in life, but might be getting in the way of your current role, or maybe you want to improve so that you can move to the next stage or promotion. And the goal for this episode is how to practice the skills needed to grow out of old or into new identities that we need to succeed at work. And Carmen, you were mentioning a specific client that you're working with where this really applies. Yeah, so it's really fascinating with her because, you know, my world, as, as I've introduced myself to all of you who's listening to our podcast, my niche in my world is usually in healthcare systems and in academic medical centers. And I work very closely with individuals that have played let's say a role in the research world or a role serving the clinical side of medicine. And so all of a sudden they get promoted into these new leadership roles and they're stuck. You know, they feel stuck. They're frozen in time. They don't really know what their new output is. You know, what is that new outcome or product that I have to put out because they were so used to being in the comfort zone and being subject matter experts within medicine and in clinical research. And and for that one particular client, which, you know, I find this individual really fascinating is that they're, this individual is definitely a high achiever and he has done such a great job in his previous roles in terms of his deliverables, which were patient safety, patient quality, um, and just being around, you know, patients and their families. And now this individual has sort of pivoted into more of a leadership role and having to have that self-awareness of, okay, what are the new sort of tools or resources that I need in order to be successful in this role? And, you know, we've been working really closely together for the last several months on, on how to do that. And of course, through coaching, through executive and leadership coaching, you're, you are able to have that accountability partner and that individual like Lindsay and I that can help push you forward. But, you know, and, and this may be shifting it a little bit into an article that I actually saw online, and I'm just going to touch on it really, really brief. And it was published by Tasha Yurik in October of 2018, in which it was working with people who aren't self-aware. So again, you know, do they have self-awareness that all of a sudden they are in this new role and they need new practical skills in order to be successful. And Tasha Yurik, only really the top three that I'll highlight is that some of the tensions around not being successful is, you know, a lot of times for one, they don't have that self-awareness. So they're not really to, they're not willing to accept critical feedback. Um, they have difficult reading a room and tailoring the message to the audience. And I think that's a fascinating one, which I will pivot that one back to you, Lindsay, because of course they have that disconnect. And so they're not able to really connect with their audience. Um, and of course the third one, which is very similar to the first one, which was they can't really take the perspective of others. So what do you think about those top three? 
that's why we're brought in. <laughs> that's why our profession <laughs> exists. And thanks for that. You know, I think, you know, you work with doctors, you know, who are used to one-on-one -on -one patient care and scientists who go really deep into the research. I work with a lot of finance types as well as engineers and, you know, they're subject matter experts. Mm -hmm. And when they get promoted, their audience changes and they come to us because they're struggling. Um, you know, how do I communicate differently or better? And one of the practice tips that I usually share with them, and it comes from the Look and Sound of Leadership podcast, is altitude. And so when you're dealing with patients or you're dealing with a lab, you're giving very detailed, tactical, on the ground information. When you move up, think about the C-suite. Do they need to know what's happening on, let's use an airplane example since we're doing altitude. Do they need to know what's going on in every single airport and every single runway? Probably not. What they need to know is that strategic overview, sort of the headline in the newspaper, maybe the byline, but not the text of the article and all the details. So what does that look like? Um, think about maybe for your client as she's struggling with how does she interact with, you know, different departments. What is it that they need to know versus what does she want them to know? We usually mm -hmm. want people to know the context and all the details and everything that went into it and what drove this decision and that. And what the other person really needs to know is what's the weather like? Am I going to run into any storms? Is it snowing or low visibility across the East Coast? Which airports does that you know, impact? Maybe the level below that sea level or senior leadership, sea level, both sea level, unwise, <laughs> uh, <laughs> SEA and C dash. Um, <laughs> maybe the level below that is okay, which specific airports are impacted and what are our contingency plans? And then on the ground where they're used to working is what are we going to do for individual flight crews? How are we going to protect the airplanes? How are we going to notify passengers? So I've gotten way off topic here, but you know, just talking about altitude versus audience and mm -hmm. being able to put that into practice, which leads me to another idea um, I follow a wonderful newsletter uh, by Ozan Varel. And by the way, all of everything that we reference is in the podcast notes. And he said in his latest newsletter, if you don't have possession of a skill or the ball or whatever it is, get into position. So if you don't have possession, staying in the same place usually means you're not open to get the right. ball. So you need mm -hmm. to move to a different place to get into position. What this means is don't try to do the same things you've always done. And this is where a coach can really help um, to help you think about how can you practice, you know, to identify maybe that skills gap or shift your identity. What can you do to practice when the stakes are lower or practice outside of really high stakes situation or with a trusted colleague. And 
I want to go one step further with practice because I think you and I deal with extremely intelligent and extremely high performing individuals who hold themselves to possibly unrealistically high expectations mm -hmm. and they can get frustrated. And I say this for myself as well as for any client or organization, persistence trumps perfection and persistence doing it over and over or adapting or shifting or let's try it this way persistence leads to the performance and you had some really interesting um uh facts and figures um on performance when it's not there and what's happening yes yeah, so and by the way i love persistent trump's performance um I, uh, perfection i mean per persistent trump's perfection and leads to performance i really do love that I think that is key. That's actually one of the most critical elements and components in order to become successful in your new role. And to your point, you know, in another different Harvard Business Review article on how to succeed quickly in a new role, and of course, this one was published actually very recently in December 2021, so a little bit over a year ago by David Sylvester and some of his colleagues, but some of the just data and statistics that they reported on was really impressive. So the Gartner surveys indicated that a full 49% of people promoted within their own companies are underperforming. And it shows up to 18 months after those, you know, uh, higher position moves. And then they also took a survey with McKinsey and they, that reports came out and said that 27 to 46% of executives who transition are either regarded as failures or disappointment two years later. So incredible statistics in terms of, you know, the underperformance. So almost half of those that are promoted within their own companies are considered to be underperforming up to 18 months after those promotional moves. Wow. I think it's, yeah, I mean, it's I just- I it's that high. I didn't either. And I, I think it's it's- incredible figures because when you think about it you know now to tack on to the second part of this is that if they're underperforming for that long you know you have potential you are potentially running into some issues of retention and so Gallup research has shown in the last couple of years that the cost of actually replacing an employee is about typically one and a half to two times that person's salary which is huge and that depends on seniority and again what their skill sets were, why they were brought into the organization or why they were promoted within the organization, the position that they were. So I, I think when you see those numbers, you really, to pull it back together to your point, you have to come up with, you know, key elements that, that you could use um, once you've pivoted into a different role, into a different identity within the organization or with a new organization that can help you become in fact, very successful. And, you know, I'll just go ahead and throw one out there. I think that identifying the right resources is huge. You have to be a fast mover, I think, um, in terms of identifying the right resources. So, you know, how can you add value? You know, where do you fall short and who can fill the gaps again? So going back to adding the resources, you know, again, who are some individuals that that could be strong players and help you be successful? Um, and if it's not individuals, what are some of the resources? You know, where are you falling short? 
Um, is it additional training? Is it um, that you don't have full understanding of your roles and responsibilities? And so you actually should sit down on a one-to-one -one with an executive and sort of feel out, you know, what are some of the going back to the altitude that you talked about? What are some of the strategic overviews that I should be providing for the organization? And then I'm always a big one on this one because we always talk about gaps, but I also think to look at your strengths too. I mean, how can you add value to the organization? What are some of the the skills, you know, that you can add? And it could also be your ability to inspire people. Do you have good leadership skills where you can sort of mobilize individuals around you on the ground level, like you had spoken about, that are focused on those details that, you know, could work for you in a way that is very successful. Yeah, you're making me think here. I like that. And again, I mean, the falling short is, of course, that's part of the practice and identity gap. Um, but then what are you going to do about it? And I think you got to look at yourself internally, right? What value do you add? And then externally, who else, right? what else is out there or who else is out there um, that so, so it's sort of like a, to me, it's more on both sides, you know, what are the resource individuals that can assist with the success process, but then looking internally, how can I add value? How can I inspire people? What are some additional skill sets that I can onboard in, in order to actually be successful? Yeah. Going to practice, um, mm -hmm. you know, there's, it's usually, we usually get approached as coaches and consultants, um, in one of two ways, an individual says, I want to become better at, or I'm currently struggling with, mm -hmm. and, you know, in terms of practicing it's, well, who does it well, who do you see, who do you admire, who do you think does it well, and what specifically do you notice that they're doing that you may not be or you feel less comfortable? And identifying those and either going to that person and having that conversation or putting into practice with the coach or yourself, mm -hmm. what are the things that I'm noticing that I could be doing differently? Um, and to be persistent with experimentation or applying that which I feel is different or lacking or needed um, to shift and change and to inhabit that new skill or identity. Sometimes mm -hmm. it's identity. It's not just skill. It's mindset. Um, the second one is when an organization, especially when it's a senior leader, where they're not meeting the expectations. I mean, I'm, I'm still reeling from the sheer amount of you know, underperformance 18 months after being promoted to a role. And that requires more than just, oh, let's get them a coach. Right. <laughs> some of it has, has to do with onboarding. And, you know, the problem with onboarding is HR departments can be woefully under-resourced or understaffed. And, right. you know, the, the robustness isn't there of what needs to be to help that new leader be successful. Mm -hmm. The second thing is, you know, expecting, well, let's hire a coach and the magic will happen. It really requires um, the support 
around that person. What do I mean by support? Uh, support where that coach or consultant gets time in front of those who are impacted by this person's work. And it could be mm -hmm. managers, leaders, it could be peers, it could be the team. So has the, has the blessing or the authority to get that feedback, or if that feedback is there to make it a two-way street. Um, the other is that the senior leader or executive is involved in this person's development versus, oh, just go fix it. Um, I think right. we both had experiences with that. And it, it comes from the top. So the mm -hmm. coaching is incredibly powerful to help this person identify gaps or skills to put into to practice, but it needs more than just that individualized relationship at the organization level. I, I, I love both of them. I, I agree with you. I think the first one and the key takeaway I took from that was definitely identifying those skills, those gaps to put into practice. The mindset, you know, we haven't really talked about that a, a lot, but I do think that that is also important. You know, shaping perhaps in your leadership role, you know, a network that could maximize personal and professional well-being. So I, I think that's really, really important is to have that mindset and maybe shape in the environment that you want, where it promotes more well-being, where it promote, promotes more um, opportunities for collaboration, um, more of a support system. So the support network I was referring to, um, you know, if I get stuck, at least you have six or seven other people that you can talk to. Um, you know, if if the problem is more cerebral or more strategic, there's also other people that you can reach out to. So crafting that supportive network, I think, is important. And that contributes to your overall, you know, well-being at the end of the day, because you don't feel so pressured. You don't have that tension you know, I have to perform. Well, in fact, you have a team, you have a sort of a squad behind you that's going to help you see that. Um, and that promotes overall positivity and having the right mindset to be successful, I think, if you scale it back up. Um, going back to your second point about, you know, onboarding and the involvement of HR and, and getting that coaching consultant, I mean, you're right. Could you potentially have those individuals that, you know, are, sort of on the same playing field um, with that person. So some other leaders in similar roles that could be in play a support that they could model. Um, and of course, I love the last thing you said, which is the senior leader getting involved. So it's not just, hey, go to coaching and have them fix and figure this out. It's in fact, you know, they are a part of the process. They are a part of reshaping that person into this new identity, into this new role that I think will contribute to its overall success. So I, I really, you know, love everything you just said. Um, and I think at the end of the day, you know, you're not setting up someone for failure, which is the biggest thing, right? You you don't want to fall into those statistics um, where, you know, according to the McKinsey report, 27 and 46% of executives who transition are are regarded as failures two years ago. And you don't want to fall into the Gallup research report that illustrates, you know, the cost of having to replace an employee depending on their seniority and skills, which is one and a half to two times more. So 
we want to be very mindful of this from an organizational standpoint. What can we do to support the individual so that they are successful? And then the individual has to have also that level of self-awareness of what skills can I put into practice? Do I need to hone in on? Am I missing? What networks do I not have that I could be creating so that, in fact, I can move into a, a more professional you know, status and role? Yeah, and I'm going to stick with the plane and flying analogy or metaphor. You know, let me land this plane. <laughs> As we <wrap> up. <laughs> right. And, you know, going back, you know, we've just, we couldn't separate the practice gap from the identity gap. Um, and so it comes back to, from the identity standpoint, you know, having the awareness that something uh either you desire to become better at something or you've been told <laughs> this needs to uh, be uh, up-leveled um, mm -hmm. and having that openness to the change on the identity level and then to the practice side of things, you know, practicing those skills to shift the identity, um, whether it's from you know, patient bedside or individual contributor or manager to you know, executive or mm -hmm. up to say a chair level in an academic medical center, you know, persistence trumps perfection and it's persistence that leads to performance. Well, I think you've said it and you've ended it on a perfect note, perfectly said. Um, thank you so much for that. And I wanted to thank again, our audience who continues to listen to us on Nevermind the Gap. We are very excited to have you guys you know, join us every two weeks. We are on LinkedIn Audio Live every two weeks right before we actually do our podcast and recording. Um, you can find us there. Just look up myself, um, Dr. X Carmen Kadir or Lindsay Hanari, and, you know, just subscribe to our LinkedIn Audio Live events every two weeks. And it's usually about 20 to 30 minutes most, just like our podcast. But if you can't catch us live for live um, interaction engagement, then you can always follow us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, um, iHeartRadio, any of your preferred podcast and platform. We're there. Um, and subscribe to Nevermind the Gap, and you can definitely get the new episodes pushed to your phone as soon as we upload them. We're so happy that you continue to join us, and we look forward to more rich conversations in the future. Thank you so much, Lindsay. I really honestly love this um, episode. Thanks, Carmen. Talk to you all later. Okay, bye-bye.